it's a good morning to be with you. Uh, I know we got the race going on. Your pastor's out of town. It's fall break. Uh, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. They told me it was family worship day, and I was like, Pastor Randy, that's fine. I love students. I've been preaching since I was a teenager. Don't mind children at all. In fact, I know the principle. You get kids excited, everybody gets excited, right? In fact, we started doing some senior adult conferences uh, not long ago, and we had a guy named Art Linkletter. Now, I know you don't know, some of you don't know who Art Linkletter is, but Art Linkletter was a celebrity. In fact, uh, when he was, um, he died at 99 years of age. We had him speak when he was 97. His timing was impeccable. But before he got up there, I wanted to know who we had, so we were having our conversation. I asked him to tell me his testimony. It was phenomenal. He said um, when he was in Hollywood at the climax of his career, in fact, uh, he was one of the very few people that at that time, we didn't have Fox back then. We had ABC, CBS, NBC. He had a show on each of those networks simultaneously. He was kind of like the Ryan Seacrest of his day, I guess. But anyway, uh, when he was in Hollywood, he lost a child to drug overdose. And he just left Hollywood. He went on a sabbatical to try to find himself. And he said he found himself at a Teen Challenge fireside club room. And, and he said when those students were around that fire, they were sharing their story and sharing what they had. And I knew they had something I didn't have. And he said, it was that night that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And he said, when he went back to Hollywood, he carried on his, um, uh, his profession, his career, and he had a show entitled House Party. And uh, it's where all the kids gathered around him. And so he started sharing Jesus on television, to which his producers got involved and said, please don't do that. This is not the time nor the place. And they threatened him to not mention the name of Jesus again. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all know if he's on the inside, Jesus is going to come out. So what he decided to do is he said, Scott, I waited all year long, and on the Good Friday television show, during that taping of, the seg of that segment, he brought all the children around him, and he said, now, boys and girls, we've got something coming up this weekend. Can anyone tell me what's happening this weekend? Hands went up. One little boy said, it's Easter time. And he said, that's right. He said, but now I want to ask you, boys and girls, another question. He said, can any one of you tell me what Easter represents? And, and he said, Scott, that's when I got some uh, surprised responses. He said, a, a girl said that Easter's the one day uh, that you get a new dress. And he said, a little boy on national television said, now, Mr. Linkletter, Easter's the one day out of the year that a little boy can eat as much chocolate as he wants to, and no one can tell him to stop. He said, that's the law, okay? And so everything was coming up. They were coming up on a hard break, and he said, out of desperation, I just went, can anyone else possibly tell me what Easter represents? And he said, a little boy in the back of the group stood up, and he kind of blurted out, yes, sir, Mr. Linkletter, I can tell you what Easter represents. That's the time we understand Jesus died on the cross. Man with a big old smile across his face, he said, I pointed my finger back at him, and, and he said, I guess I was too excited. I just kind of said, that's right, son. And, and he said, I, I did it with so much excitement, the little boy thought he was doing something right. So he didn't sit down. He just kept going. He said, Mr. Linkletter, that's not all. He said, Jesus died on the cross because we're all bad people. <laughs> and Linkletter's going, well, that's right, son. He said, but that's not all, Mr. Linkletter. They took his body off the cross and placed it inside some tomb. And Linkletter's going, that's right, son. He said, but that's not all, Mr. Linkletter. On the third day, he came out of that tomb. And Linkletter's going, that's right, son. He said, but that's not all, Mr. Linkletter. 
if he sees his shadow, well, okay, all right, you know, the little boy, he, he just didn't know when to stop, okay? Now, I, I say that because the kids you're around, man, the only reason we're in this room is for one reason. The tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? That's the reason you're here this morning. And it is with such joy that I'm with you. I'm excited about this morning. I've, I, man, I love Pastor Randy and, and, and Miss Kay. Don't you love her banana pudding? Man, if you've never had her banana pudding, it's, it, it's a blessing from the Lord, I'm telling you. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, they, they have the power of the gospel up there. I almost wanted to change it to uh, sharing the gospel when times are tough. Because we're living in a tough day. But, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's always been tough to share the gospel. In fact, I, I was reading a, a, a story not long ago uh, about Marco Polo and his journal. At Marco Polo, I always wondered where we got the name from the pool game, Marco Polo. But he was an explorer. In 1296, in his journal, he said he walked into the Emperor Kublai Khan's castle. He had moved it down, and it, was, it, was, it is in modern-day Beijing, China. And he said, as I walked into the castle, he said, there were golden-laid walls. And he said, I walked into a banquet room that could seat 6,000 noblemen at the same time. And as he got the uh, audience with the emperor, Marco Polo shared his Christian heritage, his Christian faith, to which Kublai Khan surprised him. And said, if you'll go back and tell the Pope to bring 100 teaching friars, not only will I be baptized, my noblemen will be baptized, my lords will be baptized. And here's what he said. He said, before long, there will be more Christians here than where you live. Marco Polo went back, gave his report to the Pope. But instead of sending 100 teaching friars, the Pope decided to give it a chance. He sent two. Halfway into their journey... They turned around and they came back. They reported back to the Pope that the journey was too difficult. Now, if, if, when I read that, I, didn't mind, I don't mind telling you, I started thinking, what would have happened if a hundred teaching friars had gone to Kublai Khan's empire? He was baptized, his nobleman, his lord. There would be more believers in China. 1.4 billion people reside in that continent. What would happen? Maybe, maybe China would be sending missionaries instead of spies. Maybe they'd be building churches instead of spy, uh, uh, miss, uh, uh, missiles. What happens when the gospel gets tough? We're living in a pluralistic society. They say, you know, we got to live and let live. We got to, we, we got to learn to adjust in this society. And then I discover the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as you know, when he started out, we called him Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus didn't really care for the church. That meant that if you were to stand up and say, I profess Jesus Christ my Lord, at the very least he'd throw you in prison. And if he was really upset, he'd have you taken out right then. You didn't mess with this guy named Saul. And on the road to Damascus, something happened. He met Jesus. Now look at me. Don't miss this. He didn't meet somebody who knew Jesus. He didn't get some more information about Jesus. He met the living Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus entered inside of Saul's life, he changed everything about him. Man, man, Saul was transformed to Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament. He was the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. 
And I want you to see a little glimpse into his mindset in Romans chapter 1. Now, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 is the one that gets all the attention, but I want you to back up a verse. Look in verse 15. This is what Paul says. Now, this is from the New King James Version. He says, So as much as is in me. Now, listen to that. He's saying, With all I got. With, every, uh, 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 with, uh, with as much energy as I can muster up, he says, I'm ready to preach. Now, don't get scared by the word preach. It doesn't mean to stand up here on the platform and speak on Sunday. The word preach literally means to proclaim. Basically, I'm going to tell you something. So Paul's saying, as much as is in me, I'm ready to tell you the gospel. Most of us know the gospel is translated good news. I don't know about you, but in a world filled with a lot of bad news, I praise God he gives us good news. He says, I'm ready to tell this good news to you who are in Rome also. Now, in times past, I'm going to confess to you. I'll be vulnerable. I've missed it. I go right into verse 16, but as I was preparing, look in verse 15, the last word. It's the word also. You know what I discovered? Paul's not waiting till he gets to Rome to start sharing the gospel. Paul is going wherever I am, whoever I meet, whatever situation I'm in, I'm telling you the gospel and I can't wait to get to Rome because when I get to Rome, I'm going to tell you guys also. Now, why did Paul want to get to Rome? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Why in the world did Paul constantly say, I cannot wait till I get to Rome? You know why? Because Rome was the crossroads of the world. We even have the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Rome. So why in the world did he want to get the gospel to Rome? He knew if he got the gospel to Rome, the entire world will be turned upside down. I want you to look at me this morning. Here's my question to you. Where is your Rome? Where, where is it that if the gospel gets in that place, it changes your world upside down? It could be your business. It could be in your home. It could be in your classroom. It could be in your civic group. Wherever your Rome is, that's where the gospel's got to get to. Now, how in the world could Paul have that mindset? How could he be going on in that type of a passionate lifestyle? We'll look down in verse 16. Here's why it is put in perspective. He says, For I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The word power there, if you're writing notes, write down the word dunamis. It's the same word we get for our word dynamite. Now, back then, they didn't have explosives. But what Paul is using, the, the word that Paul uses for the power of God, we started using for the most powerful force on the universe. Paul is saying, when you tap into this, he changes everything about you. And what makes it not only good news, but the best news is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. It's not only for the church member, it's for the gang member. We shouldn't just share it on the platform. We've got to be sharing this message out on the pavement. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to start discussing what are we going to do about the people who aren't coming to our church services? What are we going to do about the ones who aren't listening to our sermons? They're not singing our songs. They're not coming into our parking lots. The gospel is not for those of us in this building. This is not supposed to be a parking lot. This is a launching pad for ministry. We've got to go to where people are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Amen. Okay. All right. So the power of the gospel. This is, this is the easy sermon for you, okay? I'm not a pastor, and I'm not a theologian. I'm a simple-minded guy. I started thinking about the power of the gospel. There's three things Jesus can do in everybody's life. Write them down if you don't mind. Number one, the power of the gospel, he can cleanse your past. When I say he can cleanse your past, I, there's, a, there's a letter that Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. In fact, it's the second letter, chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to have it up on the screen so everybody can see it. He can cleanse your past. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, when you see the word therefore, Pastor Randy has taught you this, you have to understand why it's what it's there for, okay? So he's saying, therefore, based on my testimony, what I've already told you about the Apostle Paul and the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, listen to what he says. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. This, this is not about bad people becoming good. This is about dead people finding life. He says, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not turning over a leaf. You're becoming a whole new tree. He says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when you tap into the power of Christ, you understand you're a new creation. That he's cleansed your past. And when I'm talking about with cleansing your past, I'm talking about sin, okay? The Bible makes it very specifically, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is one thing that all of us in this room have in common. You may not know me, I may not know you, but we got one thing in common. <laughs> We've all sinned. In fact, if you don't believe me, I'm going to ask you a question. If you've ever told a lie, okay, ever in your entire life, I know it's Sunday, okay, so not today, but if you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Right? Keep, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And with your hand in the air, I want you to look around the room right now. Do you see all the hands of the liars that came to church this morning? Do you see that? Isn't that, oh, that's awful. Now, by the way, if you didn't raise your hand, <laughs> you just told a lie right then. Isn't that amazing to us? I mean, boys and girls, men and women, isn't it amazing that we don't have to teach our children how to be bad? Parents, we don't teach our kids how to be bad. That comes natural to us. We have to teach how to be good. In fact, I told you I was preaching since I was a teenager. I used to have a sermon when I was a teenager entitled, Ten Surefire Ways to Raise Godly Kids. I had no business preaching that message. I'm going to be straight up with you. I wasn't even married, okay? Now that we got kids, I, I nicknamed it three suggestions that may or may not work. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's the difference between theory and reality, okay? I, I mean, understand, where did this all come from? I know we like to be better made in USA, but sin was not created in a factory in Chicago in 1961. You have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And remember in the Garden of Eden, the woman, Eve, was deceived. But the man, Adam, standing right beside her, she didn't have to go get him. He was right there. He deliberately disobeyed. And from that moment, sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We're sinners before a holy God. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to preach about the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And he is loving and he is forgiving. But I, I've never read my Bible where it says three times he is loving, loving, loving. I've never read it anywhere in Scripture where it says three times he's forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. But just like Hunter said earlier, we read throughout Scripture, He is holy, holy, holy. Man, you can't sidestep that. 
You, you cannot treat the attributes of God like you're at some buffet at Golden Corral. And you say, I want His grace, and I want His love, and I want His mercy. But that holiness, now I'm going to sidestep that. Because He is holy, and I am sinful, I cannot come into His presence, not even on my best day. And you could be sitting there saying, wait a minute. Are you saying we're in this situation because some old boy named Adam? We are, but none of us can blame Adam. You know why? We've already raised our hands. I've chosen to rebel against God. And because I've chosen to rebel against God, I can't come to Him. But here's the good news on a Sunday morning. When I couldn't come to Him, He came to me. The Bible says, but God demonstrates His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? He did something for me I could not do. Sir, He did something for you you could not do. He paid the debt that we owed. And when I was growing up, we'd always call him the God-man. And I thought that was so cool to call Jesus the God-man. And they'd explain it like this. He is all God like he is no man. And then they'd say he's all man like he's no God. I got news for you. You'll never understand that until you place Jesus on the cross. Because when he was placed on the cross and lifted up because he is all God, he is firmly grasped to God's deity. But because he's all man, at that point he could reach out to the sinfulness of mankind. And when Jesus was lifted up, he became the one who bridged the gap between God and man together again. That's the reason there's hope that every one of us in this room, we can have our past cleansed. He just not only forgives us, now I thank God he forgives us, but he cleanses us. And the illustration I have for that is, hey, did y'all ever have an Etch-a-Sketch board? Do y'all have, have you ever had an Etch-a-Sketch? You know what that is? That's where you draw the little pencil sketches and everybody messes up, okay? All I could ever do were the staircases, okay? I don't know about y'all, but every time I'd mess up, what, what do you do with the Etch-a-Sketch board? You shake it. And you'd flip it back over because some t for some reason we'd always flip it over and shake it and flip it back over. And when you flip it back over, every single time, it was clean. doesn't matter how many millions of people have come to the foot of the cross. When you come to Jesus, when I came to Jesus, you know what he has the power to do? He has the power not only to forgive me, but to cleanse me. I become a new creation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a competition. We're not in here this morning for a job interview because if we were in here for a job interview, <laughs> I'd want to be better than you, okay? I'm just competitive. I'm sorry. I like to win. I, I'm telling if I was playing a senior citizen in checkers, I want her crying, okay? I'm sorry. That's just how I am. But we're not here today playing checkers. We're not in a job interview. If you really want to know what this is, this is a mash hospital for wounded souls. And man, if you're in this room and you're sitting there going, I, I don't know if I can start over. I don't know if I can have a brand new beginning. I am not up here this morning giving you powerful principles for today's living. I am offering you the Prince of Peace, the great physician, the one who can work in your life and cleanse you from your past. That's the power of the gospel. Aren't you thankful Jesus changed your life? Uh, I was about to change my message real quick. Okay, so he can cleanse your past, but if that's all he offered us, that'd be enough for me. I'd take it in a New York second. But see, not only does he cleanse our past, the second thing he could do is conquer our problems. He conquers every problem we have. You see, as we walked in here, a lot of us will have the mask on. And I get it. It's Sunday morning in the South. We come to church, and we want to put the mask on and think everything's going great, but on the inside, it's unraveling. 
In fact, uh, I have about six journals that I have filled of people with um, uh, quotes and comments just because I got tired of paying people to entertain me and then later reading that after they got off stage or behind the screen, they were wondering what's life all about. Let, let me just give you a couple of them real quick. Madonna in Us Magazine. She was asked the question, are you a happy person? She said, no, I'm not a happy person. Most of the time, I'm discouraged. I feel like demons are tormenting me day and night. But one day, I hope to be a happy person. Cameron Diaz, a star in Hollywood, said in USA Today, quote, I hate people. And when I say I hate people, I must count myself. I haven't done anything drastic to change the world nor prove that I even like myself, end quote. And probably the saddest quote I've ever read was in GQ magazine. They were interviewing a guy by the name of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford answered a question by saying these words, I've come to the point of realizing you only want out of life what you ain't got. The reporter followed it up by saying, what is it that you don't have? Harrison Ford said one word, peace. You know what Jesus says? He says, what does it profit a person if you can gain the entire world and lose your own soul? This morning, I want you to understand, I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm not a psychic. I told the earlier service that there was a psychic online network. I don't know if you knew about that. They went bankrupt. If they were psychics, <laughs> wouldn't they have seen that coming? Okay, I mean, I'm not a psychic. I don't know what's going on in this room. But I know where your answer is. We, we got children in here this morning, so let, let me do a, a group project. Don't say anything out loud, but I want everyone here to think of a number between 1 and 9. Just think. Now, with that number between 1 and 9, I want you to double that number. Whatever you got right now, just double it. Okay? Now, I want you to add 6 to whatever you've got right now. The kids are doing this great. The adults are like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, um, divide by two. Whatever you got right now, just divide it by two. Cut it in half. And if you remember, I want you to take away your original number, whatever you started out with. How many of you came up with the final answer of three? Let me see your hands. Awesome. Okay, great. How many of you, that some of you are like, how did parents, <laughs> children, your parents will explain this to you on the way home. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. It's a simple mathematical problem. I learned it in junior high school. But you know what I learned today? There's a spiritual truth here. Let me show you. How many of you start out with ones? Let me see your ones. The twos, the threes, the fours, the fives, the sixes, the lucky sevens. There they go. I knew it. Okay. The, the eights, the nines, the ones you always do, do it harder. Okay, great. You can put your hands down. You, you see, we all started out with different numbers. But we all came up with the same answer. You see, a lot of us walking through these doors this morning, you're sitting there, and you're singing the songs, and you're listening this morning, and you're going, but you don't know what I'm walking through. I don't. We all start out with different issues, some in their marriage, some in their uh, social issues, some of them are personal issues, but we all come up with the same answer. And the answer for your, for your life is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because this is what Paul says. I, I was trying to figure this out in Paul in the book of Philippians. I love how he says this. He says, he gives us the peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7. Now, if you're sitting here, you may go, well, I just don't understand what God's doing. 
I got word for you. If you're sitting here this morning and you understand everything your God is doing, <laughs> your God's not big enough. There is no way a finite mind can ever capture an infinite God. So there's no way you're going to be able to understand everything he's doing. So if you don't understand everything he's doing, here's the word I've got for you. He gives you the peace that passes understanding. Now, he gives this in another reflection in the book of Timothy. He's writing to young Timothy, okay? Timothy has got people trying to kill him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, listen to what he writes to Timothy. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know. Listen, not I hope, not I think, not maybe. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. That means I am convinced beyond belief. I am persuaded that he is able. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I had three or four after the first service walk up and say, you were talking to me. I don't know. But here's the message I've got for you. He is able. Don't give up on your family. Don't, don't give up on your situation. Don't give up on your state. Don't give up on your country. Don't give up on your, uh, your job. Don't. Why? He is able. Um, about 11 years ago, I just dropped my wife and children off, and I flew to a conference, and I was going to fly back down. They were at Disney World and fly back down and be with them. And my cell phone rang in my hotel room, and it was my wife. And she said, Scott, I can't see. And I was like, what? And she was like, I'm concerned because it's like I'm looking through wax paper at a flashlight. Everything's distorted. I can't put anything in focus. I immediately got down there. We came home. We started going to specialists. And, and, if, and if you've ever gone through a, a health issue, don't you get tired of being a copay, a case number, in a sterile environment? I just wanted somebody who cared. That was my bride, and I felt like no one was caring for her. And so we were, found ourselves in the fifth specialist office, and um, we heard the words. He said, I'm sorry, there's, there's nothing we can do. They, they had misdiagnosed her. She was a young woman, and um, they, they thought it was one thing, and they thought they could treat it with steroids, but what they ultimately found out, it was closed-angle glaucoma, which is a rapidly deteriorating disease in your eyes. And if you put steroids on it, it's like throwing fuel onto the fire. And I, I remember walking through that, and um, we just didn't know what was going to go on. In fact, I, 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 we gathered so many people to pray, and just like every one of us do. If, you, if, you, if you're in a situation, you, look, look, you, you call on people to pray. And I, had, I called a friend of mine, I need my Baptist to circle around me here. Don't, don't think I've gone off the chain, but here's the deal. I called a friend of mine, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Scott, do you believe God can heal her? I was like, absolutely, I believe he can heal. He said, I just don't want to waste my time praying if you don't believe God can actually do it. Now, I, I, I will say that um, miraculously, she, she's able to, she has some sight. She's lost her peripheral. It's kind of like, but that's even a miracle in and of itself to have any sight at all. She says it's like when you get binoculars and turn them upside down and look through them the wrong way, that's her sight, kind of tunnel vision. 
and, and we, ha we have to have fun with it, okay? I'm sorry you to laugh, or it's just part of our life. Our dog has been kicked so many times. God love him. I mean, he, he, she just can't see him, and so she just kicks him, and she's he now just runs and gets in another room. But anyway, uh, as we walk through this, I'll never forget being in that car when we first heard the news that she was about to go blind. And we just walked through Rick and Sherry Burgess's, I don't know if y'all know the Bronner Burgess story about them losing their child. And, and she said, Scott, I, I've been praying that God would allow me to be the type of, of a woman of God, that he'd be able to entrust me with any trial to be found faithful. He is able. I, I don't know what you're walking through. I, I know it's Sunday morning. I, I'm on a time. I'm a, I promise you I'm going to get you out of your own time, but or close. Um, but but some of you are in this room, and you're just at your you're at your wit's end. You don't know what to do. You're saying, God, where are you? God, why why aren't you working this situation? Take it from a boy from Birmingham. He is able. Not only can he conquer your problems, not only can he cleanse your past, but let me share with you one final thing. He can change your perspectives. He changes everything about you because when he changes your perspective, I, I started wanting to find Paul's motto for life. I, I, I was searching around. And I was like, okay, Lord, there's got to be one verse, and here's, here's where I got it. Philippians 1.21. Listen to what Paul says here. When he changes your perspective, Philippians 1.21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is so different than the Saul of Tarsus. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes your perspective because you realize it's no longer about you, it's all about him. And that's the reason you couldn't keep Paul quiet about the gospel. They were trying. They say, Paul, if you don't be quiet about the gospel, we're going to beat you. And Paul says, well, you better beat me. They say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to whip you. And Paul says, you better, better whip me. We're going to stone you. And Paul says, you better stone me. And they say, we're going to throw you in prison. And Paul says, if you're going to throw me in prison, get me down to Rome because that's where I'm trying to get in the first place. There's a lot of prisoners that need Jesus. And finally, somebody says, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to kill you. And Paul says, would you? For to me, to live is Christ, but to die, that's gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with my... So you see, Paul is saying, it's no longer about me, it's all about him. If we had that type of a mentality to walk out of here, to say, wherever I go, whoever I meet, it's no longer about meeting me, may they meet Jesus inside of me. He changes your perspective. Have you ever heard of the name Lenny Studnick? Okay, he's a hero. Let, let me tell you a story. At January 13, 1982, Lenny was a, a maintenance worker at the Pentagon. He was driving home that night, and as he was driving home that night, he was passing the bridge where a terrible accident had just taken place. Air Florida 90 had just lifted off from the airport. They were flying to, the, uh, to Miami, but they could not make it above the bridge. They hit the bridge, and they went into the Potomac River. Well, on impact, some, some died, but there were several survivors that were in the icy waters. They were dropping down lines so that they could get them out of the water. There was one flight attendant. She couldn't get on the line. For some reason, she was uh, not able to grab hold of the line. So Lenny saw all this, and you know what he did? He jumped from the bridge into the icy river, grabbed the flight attendant, pulled her to safety. 
You say, that's a great story. The next day, he, he was on every newspaper, on every news show. But a couple of weeks later, President Reagan was giving his State of the Union address. He was so moved by Lenny's story, he had him come and sit with uh, the First Lady. And as, as he gave the State of the Union address, he told the story, mentioned Lenny, had Lenny stand up, and for the first time in the State of the Union, he received a standing ovation. You may not know Lenny Stugnett, but that was the first time in the State of the Union that anyone had been sitting with the first family outside of family. To this day, you ask staffers on Capitol Hill, before the State of the Union, they all want to know who's going to be the Studnik this year. An ordinary man became a hero. Why? Because he went after those who were in danger. You want to be a hero in the kingdom of God? Go after those in danger. Go after those that are screaming, save me. Because the tragedy that's going to happen tonight, after you watch your football, after you get home, get your full belly, most of us are going to go to bed dry-eyed while all of Gadsden is crying themselves to sleep. And if you'll have the heart of the Savior, if you'll have the ears of the Redeemer, you will hear them screaming, save me, save me, save me. You see, it's all about who's your one. Your pastor's going to start the campaign. Who's your one? Who is your one? You see, um, I'll close with this story, and I, I, I waited till the end, and I hadn't said much, but um, last year I ran for office, ran for a statewide office. I, I ran for governor. And some of you are out there going, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's the reason I lost. Anyway, all right, so that just kind of puts it in perspective. But um, as I was running, I went around the state, and our state is so great. I love the state of Alabama. I'm burdened about the state of Alabama. And um, found myself in some peculiar areas. I went to the Chitlin Festival. So help me, there's a Chitlin, there's a strawberry festival, there's every kind of festival there. I found myself at the Rattlesnake Rodeo. <laughs> Whoever thought a good idea of putting politicians and snakes together? I go, they're similar. Anyway, all right, so I, I found myself at the Florabama. Sunday morning, not Saturday night. I was checking to see what kind of crowd we had. Okay, so I get that. I was there. They have a church that meets in Florabama on Sunday morning. It was phenomenal. Loved the service. Enjoyed being there and, 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 and speaking. And that night, we had a rally in Gordo, Alabama. That rally in Gordo, Alabama was actually a student conference. And so um, they invited me to come. And Does anybody know where Gordo is? Anybody? Okay. It's a small little town, uh, West Alabama. And because I was a gubernatorial candidate, they thought they had to have security in Gordo, Alabama. And you can't make this stuff up. I promise you, the officer's name, Pooh Bear. <laughs> Officer Pooh Bear. And I'll be honest, he looked just like Pooh Bear. I mean, he, he was a burly African-American dude, and I just loved getting to know him. He became a uh, just uh, my right hand that night, and I preached. And after I preached, we gave an invitation, just like we're about to give an invitation here this morning. And, and I, went, I left and went over to the counseling room. And as I was walking up, 
Pooh Bear was standing in the doorway, and I, I was going to tap him and uh, get on by him so I could get in the counseling room. And when I tapped him on the shoulder, he turned around. And have you ever seen someone that has cried so much they just have salt stains down their cheek? And it surprised me, and I, I just went, Pooh Bear, what's wrong? And I said, come on outside. And we, we went outside, and, I, and he, I, he told me his story. I'll never forget it. He said, Scott, he said, we live in, I live in Gordo, Alabama. Nothing happens in Gordo, Alabama. But he said, every night when I go on shift duty, I think this could be my last night alive. And he said, tonight, you were talking about peace and love and forgiveness and hope. So I've never heard that before. That night, I had the privilege of seeing Pooh Bear come to know Jesus. Right there in, my, right, right there in front of me. And I, I kept up with him. He's now an officer in Northport, Alabama. He's been baptized. He's in a church. He's doing well. But that night, driving home, this was about in April. So Tara and I were in the back seat. They were driving us home. It been a long day, but I remember us sitting there talking, and I say, you know, Tara, in ministry, we always say if one comes to know Christ, it's, it's worth it. Wouldn't, it. wouldn't it be just like our God to have met, you know, kind of interfered with our comfortable life? Lots of money, lots of miles, just so that he could orchestrate a police officer that would have never darkened the doors of a church to be able to hear the message of Jesus and change his life forever. I remember being in the back seat, and I said, if that's what it's for, I'm good. Let me ask you something. Who's your one? Who is it that is in your life right now God's calling you to share your faith with. You see, we're going to go into an invitation. And during this invitation, I love invitation because some of you are in here this morning. I, I love people. I'm a people for you. can tell. I just love people. But if you're in this room, you don't know Jesus. The greatest privilege I have, just like with Pooh Bear, is to share with you how Jesus can change your life. I can't change it. I, I wish I could. I can't change anyone's life. Only Jesus can change lives. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ, listen to me very carefully. It's not about running up and down these aisles. It's not by screaming the top of your lungs. You know what it's about? It's about one word called surrender. That's the reason I love in God's word it says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen to what he says. He says, whosoever. That means anybody. Whosoever doesn't mean everyone but me. It means whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. Now, a lot of us have got in our mind that it's a baby or a child looking up at its parents, and that's part of it. But Paul's writing with urgency. So when he says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he, it would be another, if I could give you a mind picture, it'd be out in this body of water, this river that's out here. And if you got into the river and you got out a little too deep and you started struggling and you were about to go under for the last time and right before you went under, someone threw you a life preserver and that life preserver hit the top of the water, you know what you're going to do? You're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. Now, somebody could be sitting in here going, wait a minute, <laughs> I saved myself. I got to remind you, you're drowning. You can't save yourself. You have to trust the life preserver. You see, I'm not the life preserver. Meadowbrook Baptist is not the life preserver. God just uses these resources to throw the life preserver your way. We're talking about the name of Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means that you have to do business with Jesus. And I know no better way 
to lead a person to Christ than by prayer. Now, if you're sitting here and you're one of those that say, hey, there's not a prayer written in the New Testament that you're supposed to pray, I agree with you. There's not a written prayer in Scripture. But allow me to explain something to you real quick. I won't be long, but I want to explain it to you. If we're going to take this concept, let me go to the nth degree. In the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament, the Bible says, whosoever has sin in their heart, if we have sin in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. We've already raised our hands, so we got a problem. You go to the New Testament, and Paul says, pray without ceasing. So how do you go from God not hearing your prayer to God always hearing your prayer? You go to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who met a person who thought he knew everything, a religious person named Nicodemus. And you know how Jesus dealt with Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, do not marvel at this. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And here's what he said. He said, you must be born again. How are you born again? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved.